You know, as we begin a new year, there's so many ways to approach a, a, a new year sermon. But as we look at this theme that we're in on renew, I found myself thinking about what it's like to be around new things and probably one that we maybe can all relate to in one way or another, whether you've ever had one or just sat in one, a new car. You know, there's just something about the smell of a new car when you sit down in it. I remember my dad getting a new car and he let me drive it. And I was like, wow, this thing is so cool. It had bells and whistles that I'd never seen, but it had a smell to it that I can only describe as that new car smell. Now, there are things that we get that are new and they're fresh, and maybe you're not like this, but I'm, I'm a little emotional and seasonal in the way I'm made. And when it comes to a new year, I find myself in a lot of reflection. I find myself thinking back, not only on the year, but everything that's gone on in my life to that point, and then sitting before the Lord saying, so what's going to happen this next year? How can I have a sense of anticipation? How can I have a certain excitement? And whether it's set in goal form or not, they, they say that 90 plus percent of the resolutions are broken by the end of January, and right now business is really good if you own a fitness center, but nobody will be coming in February, right? So most of our goals are our physical goals about our weight, about our looks, or about things we want to start doing and habits we want to cultivate, and often when you even talk about that kind of thing, it's discouraging because you know you're not going to follow through. You know it's going to break down. You know you're not going to do it. I had one of the most uh, discouraging emotions when my grandson, who is a young teenager, sent me a message and said he wanted me to join him in a read the Bible through plan. And uh, I said, wow, man, I'd really like to do that, but I've made a commitment to another reading plan, but I, I would like to be a part of it with you, and so even this morning, he sent me his sermon notes from the, uh, where he's been to church this morning, and he sent me an update on his reading plan, and this kid will do it. I mean, he'll read the Bible through this year. When you think about your walk with God and you think about goals that you need to set, what, what do you think about? Look on here. What, what would you like to change? What would you like to see renewed in your walk with God? I just want you to take this home like a worksheet and think it through. And I meant to uh, have Nick create a, a slide that had our uh, email address on here, but it is at wcsalford.org. And you put in front of it just Al. Or Johnny, Johnny spells it without an H, J-O-N-N-Y, or Al at wcshallifer.org. And if you want to write and talk to us about one of these, maybe you need help in a certain area of trying to figure out how to renew these areas of your life. Let me just talk to you about them for a moment, just to get you thinking. Then we'll get to the text that we have set aside this morning in 2 Corinthians. But what about reading the Bible? What about it? Do you have a reading plan? Has anyone ever shown you a reading plan where you can read the Bible through in a year? And you realize that it's so big that you get discouraged. So what about a New Testament plan, okay? What if you just chose to read the New Testament through this year? A missionary recently told me that he was in college when a, he was longing to be a missionary, and a missionary came to that college and spoke in chapel. And he said... I read through a book of the Bible every day. Everybody kind of looked at him. He said, I mean, some of them are short. Some of them are easy. And I have a little trouble with Psalms to getting through it in a single day. So I usually pace it out in a different way. But 
I mean, we read other books, so why not read through a book of the Bible every day? And he, he said that he'd started that plan since he was in college, and I had to say to him, well, you're, you know, you, you cover a lot more ground than I do because I have trouble uh, getting through books <laughs> because I start reading through a book of the Bible and I want to camp out at a certain place. And So maybe you want to learn how to study the Bible this year. Maybe no one's ever taught you how to study, or you want to find yourself in a way that you said, okay, I like scripture memory. I hear about that, and I'm not really good at memorizing, but if I wanted to memorize, what verses would I memorize? Where would I go with that? So what about your handling of the scripture? It says it's inspired by God. It's good to show us the path, to show us when we're off the path, to show us how to get back on the path and how to stay on the path. It's the word that God uses like a sword to pierce deep down in our hearts, to separate our soul and our spirit and our joint and the marrows and the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Do you have any longing or desire to do better, have a renewal with the way you handle the word of God? A lot of times I'll see Bibles in the car and I think, Okay, so did you throw that in there last week? You left it all week, and you're going to take it out next Sunday and take it back in with you to the church house. But today we have so many copies of the scripture, and you have the scripture right there on your uh, iPhone. And so do you have a plan at all? What about prayer? It's interesting that when you talk about meditation in the public arena, this last week I was at a doctor appointment, and Going through the little thing, you know, did you fall? And you know, all these little things, questions asking me, are you afraid to be at home? You know, uh, and the little other questions that they were asking as they went through. And then she came to one, she said, is there anything about your religion that, that uh, I should know about? Or I thought, that's the first time. I've never heard that one in there. I said, well, I have some. Uh, and she looked at me, I said, I mean, you're talking about meditation? Sure, it helps. I mean, there's nothing about, I mean, I guess it's for people who are caught in some kind of cult or trap that want to know somebody can help me get out of this thing. But meditation is often talked about as it relates to your health. But we as followers of Christ know what it really means to meditate. We know what it's like to get something from the Word of God and let it work in our lives. What about your worship? Do you have a plan for corporate worship, for private worship? All statistics show that years ago, people came three out of four Sundays to public worship services. Now you're lucky if people come one out of four and all the statistics and measurements. I didn't ask you to come here this morning to try to make you feel guilty, <laughs> but, but I would like to ask you, is it, a, is it something that you think about? Do you plan about it for Saturday night? Do you think Tomorrow morning when I get up, I'm going to go. Have you? They said that's usually when the decision's made about are you going to sleep in or are you going to go and be a part of corporate worship. Do you sense, as the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, that we need to get together? Because when we get together, we motivate each other to love and good deeds. And there's something about being stirred up in the body of Christ, of worshiping together, affirming the character of God together, singing about God together, even letting God speak to us from his word together. Johnny's mentioned it already, but we have, I guess you'd call it a goal. It's more of just a deep prayer that we want our corporate worship services to be so keenly aware of the presence of God that people come together and we worship together and they, they leave and say, 
God spoke to me. God worked in my life. God was there. His presence was permeating everything that was taking place. I've been told that a good way to evaluate a worship service is is to get together after it's over and say, when did we sense God working? At what moment did we sense the moving of God? We have a longing that there be renewal in our worship. What about your fellowship? Do you know what that word means? In the original text, it's the word koinonia, where we get our word coin, koinos, common. But there's a commonality when you get around other believers that you don't have anywhere else because you have shared in a fellowship with one another. And that's something that may happen so instantly that you find yourself having more in common with someone that you've only known a few hours compared to someone that you've known all of your life because you sense God at work in their life and you sense that they get you, all right? They get what's going on in your life as God's working inside of you. Fellowship. We need to be encouraged by fellowship. The scripture says encourage one another day after day. We need to be accountable in fellowship where we can share with one another what we're doing and we can experience those other one another's in scripture where we pray for one another and we even rebuke one another and we hold one another accountable to do what we say we really want to do. There's renewal that we long for in our fellowship whether it be in the encouragement or the accountability, whether it be in joining a group like we have set up that you can join on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday nights, or whether there's some other place where you're with ladies and study Bible at at the church, First Baptist Woodstock, during the week when our ladies meet over there or ladies' monthly meeting. But there's something about you committing to fellowship. What about witness? At one point, I had verses listed by this, and I'm sorry they didn't get on the final draft. So you could go home and just think about this. When Peter writes, he says that we need to be ready to give an account for the hope that's in us. Would you be ready tomorrow if someone asked you, why are you a follower of Christ? If someone asked you, how could I be a Christian? Justin's not here this morning. Perhaps he'll be listening to this later. Justin is a growing young leader in our congregation and he's at his father's bedside who had a heart attack and he's there uh, ministering to his family and I was glad to hear that Justin could affirm that his dad knew Christ he said we've been alone some he stayed there overnight while the rest of the family went to get some rest and in his text he said I've been able to talk to him about some real special things you know I'm wondering what would it be like if you went to the bedside of someone you love who was suddenly ill and they said, could you tell me how to have a relationship with God? Would you know how to do it? Hey, maybe that ought to be something that you put on the list that you want renewed this year, that you want to be able to explain the gospel and your relationship with Christ with someone else. Or maybe you'd take an even bigger risk and you'd say, I'm going to pray for an opportunity to share Christ. How long has it been since you have wanted to talk to somebody about Jesus. I mean, you've just said, I'm looking for it. I'm hoping that it happens. Or are you in the camp? I'm hoping that it doesn't happen because I don't know what I'll say if it does. I remember being in evangelism training a long time ago and watching people when we would go knock on the door and no one would come to the door. We'd be going back to the car and some of them were going, (laughs) man, I'm glad nobody was there because you're going to make me explain to them and I'm not sure I could do it yet. Hey, that might be something you pray for renewal this year. 
that you could have the confidence not only in your personal relationship with God, but your ability to explain that to somebody else. I just put these down for you to think about and go home. You can put your own notes there. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you're writing something as we get toward the bottom of this page, you might want to use shorthand that nobody else can figure out, all right? Because it's nobody else's business of what you're seeking to see renewed this year. What about the next one, discipleship? I've talked to so many people that would say, no one has ever discipled me. Would that be you? I remember going one night to the home of a guy. He was CFO of a very large uh, corporation there in Winston-Salem where I pastored. He was the CFO of the Baptist Hospital and University Training. He was in his late 30s. Incredible responsibility for a man that age. Went into his home and they had a Bible study going on and he said, Pastor, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a deacon. I, I've been a part of a lot of leadership positions in the church. But no one has ever discipled me. And he said that right there in front of the whole group. It'd be okay for you to admit that no matter how old you are. No one's ever really helped me define the path of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So that I could confidently become a disciple maker. Hey, that'd be a great thing for you to pray to be renewed this year. That you either want somebody to help disciple you or you want to become a disciple maker in the new year. What about generosity? I appreciate the fact that Johnny's already affirmed that we have a lot of that going on so that I don't feel really bad about scolding a bunch of people who are squeezing too hard to their money, all right? I, I, I'm not after your money. I don't need your money. And as a matter of fact, God doesn't need your money. But he wants you to learn the joy of participating in the work of his kingdom. Would anyone ever call you generous? You don't have to be reckless with your money. As a matter of fact, people that are the most generous are probably those that have the best plan for their money. And they've already figured out where it's supposed to be and when it's supposed to be. Do you have any kind of plan that will allow you to be generous? Whether it's your weekly giving or a special giving that you're interested in. Some of you know that... that my full-time job, if you will, is that I lead a, a missionary organization called Encourage Global. This is no advertisement. This is just clarity, all right? And as I do this ministry globally to try to encourage missionaries who still call me pastor, plenty of them on that list, every time somebody starts giving, or even if they've given more than one time, usually when I write them back, I say, thanks for investing in us so we can invest in others. Do you understand that kind of generosity that you want to see it as an investment in the work of God's kingdom? What about hospitality? Is your home open? If not, why? I've lived in places where most everyone there had much better stuff than we <laughs> and I didn't really, really want them to come over and see the junky place where we lived. I'll never forget being in a supper club, okay? Which, by the way, is not a bad thing if any of you want to help start off a little supper club where two or three get together and they rotate at each other's house. We were in this supper club, right? At, we were just finishing seminary. And there were, I think, four couples in this supper club. And we went to the very first one, and it was to an architect's home. And when we pulled off the road, we drove around the little lake out in front of his house, and we pulled up in, into the home, we went in, and man, you have never seen, every 
home magazine you've ever seen. I'm telling you, the picture of their dining room, that's what it was like. It was just this incredible picture of perfect dining. And we had a great time talking about the Lord. And we get back in the car and, you know, the first thing is like, you say to your wife, well, honey, what did you think? That was a great evening, wasn't it? And KK said, they're coming to our house. We don't even have six dishes that match. Uh, I guess I can put a tablecloth uh, sheet over that thing we call a table and try to have them in our home. But, you know, we learned it doesn't take long for people to get over how good or how bad your stuff is. If there's no atmosphere of love in the home, if there's no sense of genuine interest that you have in one another, if somehow you're holding back in your hospitality because you think your home and garden's perfect little home doesn't match, I'd say, get over that. And look at where the scripture talks about. Oh, I saw this so many times this week, and I was sad that I couldn't preach it. Paul talks about, when I was with that guy, I was refreshed in his presence. And when he comes, he's going to refresh you. And this whole idea of being refreshed and renewed was seen in the character of the people and the way they loved and the way they influenced the others. What about your hospitality? What about your forgiveness? Do you need to give some? Do you need to get some? Are there people that you need to give forgiveness to? I've heard it said that you really can't complete the act of forgiveness until someone asks for it. Okay, I get that. And you've got people that maybe that need you to forgive them and they haven't asked you to forgive them. So maybe it can't be complete. But as much as possible with you to live at peace with all men, do you need to have a forgiving spirit? Because it's so true that Bitterness does so much damage to the container, far more than it does to what it's poured on. If you have the acid of bitterness in your heart, and you're longing for an opportunity to pour it out on somebody that you think is acting unjustly, don't let that eat you up inside. Come to understand what it means to give that back to the Lord to be refreshed in this whole idea of be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Down at the bottom of the page, those two things relate back to everything before and other things not listed. Are there attitudes in your life that need to be renewed? Are there activities in your life that need to be renewed? Is there something you need to stop doing? Or something you need to start doing. When it comes to your attitude, does it match the fruits of the Spirit listed there in Galatians 5? That you have that kind of love, joy, and peace coming because God is truly reigning in your heart? Are people depressed when they leave you because there's so much that your problem has become your identity? Or do you find your identity in Christ and the fruit of the Spirit be something that's evidence to someone else? Do you need renewal there? What about activities? Do you have habits you know it's wrong? It, it, could, it could be lust. It could be materialism. We've already talked about a lack of forgiveness. And do you have activities that you're involved in that you know you should stop 
and other things that you should start. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he not only said you need to flee, but you need to pursue. That's why we're going to turn the page over and we're going to talk today from the scripture and the time we have left. What we're going to pursue. There may be some things in that category you wish you could start or you wish you could stop. But as we turn the page, let's look at the potential that's there for the believer. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. After the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These chapters, Paul is talking about what's motivating him in Scripture. He's giving us a heart, a look into the life of a leader. But as he comes through talking about having this treasure in jars of clay, this past week, I was talking to a missionary. He had left his very tough assignment in a very remote place that I, I dare not say the name of the country where he serves. But if you can think of maybe the hardest place you can imagine serving, that's where this guy lives, in a very remote village. He'd come out of that time to meet with some workers from his affinity group, and he asked me, he said, would you please pray for me as I get a chance to lead in Bible teaching before the other missionaries? And he said, I'm going to be teaching on what it means, verse 7 of, of 2 Corinthians 4, what it means to have this treasure in jars of clay. And I thought, boy, this guy, he has so much insight about how God's working in his life and where he lives and what he's doing that he is a very fragile jar of clay, but he has the treasure of Christ living in him. As Paul talked about all these problems and things that had gone on, go down to verse 16 and look at what he says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Renewal, renewed. The outer self is wasting away. I dare say if you could compile the greatest number of New Year's resolutions, <laughs> they would all aim, focus on the outer person that's wasting away. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop some diet that I'm on. I'm going to lose this weight. I'm going to do this exercise. All those things are on. out, And I'm not, I'm not dim diminishing those things at all. The Bible calls this body that we live in the, the temple, and so a little temple maintenance is not bad, okay? So there's nothing wrong with having goals to make your body work better. Uh, there's no premium on sloppiness when it comes to the way we handle our physical self. However, true renewal is something that happens so much deeper that is not measurable often to the human eye but can certainly be measured from heart to heart. This outer body is wasting away. There's a certain age, I don't want to call it because I don't want to put anybody in categories, but there's a certain age and above that's in this room right now that could say, amen, my body is wasting away. All right, I know that. This outer self is wasting, but... 
our inner person is being renewed day by day. I don't know if you want to write it on, the, on your note sheet or not, but up at the top there, I, I would call this the potential or the possibility. That's what we're looking at. There's great potential for renewal. In the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This morning you might say, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but I, where's this newness? Well, first of all, you're a new creation in that you have the capacity now to relate to God. If today you can say with confidence that you're a follower of Christ, that you've been born of his spirit, that you've come to God and you've said, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died for me. I want to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I, I want to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I need a relationship with you, God. I can't restore it. I believe Jesus restored it when he died and when he was raised. Something happened when that happened. It was not just something you said to God. It was something God said back to you. In 2 Corinthians 4, right before this, as Paul's talking about the power of the gospel, he says that the one who said, light shall shine in darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. In other words, you remember how in the book of Genesis, God spoke and said, let there be light. When you came to God and you said, God, I know I need a Savior, you know what God did? He spoke into your heart and said, let there be light. When you came to God and you said, I, my life's not working, I need a whole new way to do life, God spoke into your heart and said, let there be life. He made you a new creation. Today, you don't have the capacity to overcome certain habits or to start certain things. You, you're not able, the scripture says, until God takes up residence in your heart. And then when he's living there, anything Jesus can do, he can do in and through you because God has put him inside of you to change you from the inside out. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new. You weren't quite ready. I really did want you to say the word, all right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. We're talking about renewal, and you are new, unless you're still old, because you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ yet. But if you have, you're a new creation. Now, the old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. That doesn't mean that there's nothing old going on inside of you. You still have old ingrained habits. We're going to talk about the renewing of your mind next week. But today I want us to look at the capacity, the power, the indwelling power to change us from the inside out. That's why the scripture would say it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Can you say that with confidence? God's at work in me. And he's at work in me for his good pleasure. That's the power, that's the potential to change. But now, what about really understanding the power? Where does it come from? What holds you to it? Well, that's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Look at what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us. 
I left out that word because I wanted you to write it in. I wanted you to experience writing the word love because I wanted to drive it home to you. It's the love of Christ that compels us. I've been listening to a business book called Atomic Habits. I can recommend it to you with a caveat that the guy's not a believer and it's not, it's not designed for Christians, okay? It's just a book about habits, all right? And in this book, as this guy's talking about changing habits, uh, he talks about what is it that's going to hold you to it? What's going to make you repeat it? And as I was listening to it the other day, he said, in 19, he called the date, almost no one wore a seatbelt. And then in about 15 to 20 years, almost everyone's wearing a seatbelt. What caused that change to take place? And he talked about the laws, and he talked about the common acceptance, and he talked about peer pressure, and a lot of those things that caused that change to happen. But it went from nothing to almost everyone. What causes that kind of change? Well, when you think about a seatbelt, technically it is called a restraining device, right? It's to hold you back in an accident. This word is flipped. It's not a restraining device. It's a constraining device. It holds you to it. What holds you to it? There's nothing else that's going to hold you to any of those things that you said you wanted to see renewed on this side of the page. Nothing's going to hold you to it except for the love of Christ. That's the only thing that's going to make it work. It's not me doing these works so God will like me better. It's not me doing these things so that somehow I can brag to other Christians that I'm doing things they're not doing. No. Genuine renewal, genuine change comes from the love of Christ controlling us. Look how that verse goes on. It says, I've concluded this. I've understood that he, one died for all and therefore all died. And that as he died for all, he did it so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's what holds us to it. Recognizing that Christ who lives in us has given himself for us. And it's just the logical, reasonable response to worship to give ourselves back to him. It's that thanksgiving, grateful response of worship where we say, okay, God, I love you, but I love you because you love me first. I love you because I know you love me. And that's where my love comes from. My love doesn't come because I'm one of the best people on the planet, and therefore I love God. No, my love comes from the fact that I know that I didn't deserve it, but somehow God loved me. Why me? Do you ever look around at your classmates and think about where you are and where they are? Maybe sometimes you do it in a way that, God, you've left the wrong one, you know? 
They shouldn't have all that stuff and me, ha- me not have any stuff. I don't, I don't know what you think when you look around, but I hope this morning as you look around in this room and as you look around this week, you think, God loves me. Why, do, why did he love me? And we understand that when we really let him love us, that's where renewal and change comes from. That's the power. That's why this morning, as we start off the year talking about renewal, I want you to turn in the book of Revelation. There are seven letters here in chapter 2 and 3. These are letters that Jesus dictated, if you will, to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, chapter 2 of the Revelation. Boy, this was a great church. Timothy had been the pastor. Paul had seen a lot of people come to Christ. He talked to them about their good works, all the things they had done, how they had patiently bearing up for his namesake, haven't grown weary. But he says in verse 4, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Has there ever been a time in your life that you could say, boy, I really loved God then. I remember one day I was in a counseling setting and I hadn't sought it. It just kind of happened. This lady in our church, her grown daughter had gotten in a bunch of trouble. She felt like such a failure because her daughter had gotten in all this trouble. And her husband brought her and set her down in front of me. He said, here, you do something I can't. So I'm sitting there talking to her. She was good friends of ours. And and I, I asked her, I said, was there ever a time that you really knew God loved you? Oh, sure, sure. There was. I said, okay, well, just wait a minute. What about, like, when's the time you felt absolutely closest to God? I mean, you really felt like God loved you and you loved him. I mean, it was just, it was so right. It was just thick because you understood how much God loved you and you loved him. When was that? She said, I guess it was at a camp when I was in high school. You know, I... I remember everybody left and service was over and I just sat there right up front and I couldn't decide whether to cry or whether to laugh because it was just so real and I knew that God loved me. I said, okay, do you think that day when you let God love you and you loved him, do you think God knew that this day was coming? Well, I guess so. Well, of course he did. Because God's not restrained by time. And God saw this mess that you were going to be in sitting here today. And he loved you that day. And in a way, that ought to make you love God more now. Because he knew all of the mess that was going to happen in your life. And he loved you anyway. And you think he's so disappointed in you now, but he's not. He gets your pain. He gets the disappointments that you feel. 
but he's as committed to you right now as he ever was. What about you today? Has there ever been a time in your life that you really felt like God loved you and you loved him? Do you remember when when you just couldn't study the Bible enough and you just couldn't tell people about Jesus enough and you were just so excited to know him? What would you call that? I think the Bible would call that first love. Well, this applies to your to your marriage. Do you remember? I mean, back then we had to pay for long-distance calls. I know that somebody might want to explain that to some of the millennials, all right? But we had we had to pay for phone calls. And man, I just couldn't talk to KK enough. I would stay in Roswell to midnight and drive back to college up in North Georgia. I could I just couldn't talk to her enough. She wrote me some of the most incredible letters, and I'd pick up the phone and call her because I didn't have time to write all that back to her. So she can't save too many letters for me that I could save that she wrote to me. Oh, the first love. What about your first love with the Lord? Jesus said to this wonderful church, I've got this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. But notice he tells them what to do about it. Remember, therefore. This morning, I hope that you've recognized the need to reestablish a greater intimacy with God. Or if you've been overwhelmed by that lately, you're just fanning that flame that was already there. But through the recognition of a longing to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with him, remember Remember how he's worked. Oh, this morning I could recount times that I've seen God work so dramatically in our life. But I hope that God's not through working dramatically in my life. I hope the testimonies of the dramatic working of the past is just an anticipation of a dramatic working in the days to come. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen It's possible for Christians to backslide. I know a lot of times people talk about backslidden as though it's an excuse to live in the flesh. I know some people that's backslidden so far that I'm not sure they ever slid forward anywhere. You know, I'm not sure where they say they came from. They've never evidenced a life change. But if you have, and it's not where it ought to be right now, it's, it's something that you know you need to long for, then remember where he worked and what he's done, and repent. I sure hope that that word that's usually written on a sign of a guy, the street corner screaming, I hope that the screaming word repent doesn't rob you from the powerful, tender nature of the word repent. Because it literally means to change your mind. That's all it means. It means you're going in one direction and you change your mind to go in another direction. And this morning, God tenderly calls his children, repent. Just stop going that way and turn this way. Stop doing that and start doing this. And do the works like you did it first. So I've given you four little boxes there at the bottom. I want to give you something to write in and then... 
I want to bring you to a point of prayer. Looking at those texts together, the first one is, and it's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to write on your own, all right? The first one is, recognize your need. That, that's a big part of it. I don't know if any of you journal. If you write in your quiet times, I've done it consistently at times, and I've done it inconsistently at times. But I've always found that when I journal, when I get to the bottom of the page, I'm either going to know the problem or the answer. But either way, it was a victory <laughs> because I at least wrote it out and thought through it. This morning, I want to ask you, would you just recognize a need for more intimacy, for more depth, for more consistency. Just recognize it because that's how God convicts us, convinces us of what we need. Number two, remember and reflect on how God has worked in the past. And that's a good thing for you to remember his faithfulness and to remember his goodness. You are good. You are good. We sang it to him over and over again. To remember and reflect on his goodness. Number three, repent. Turn from the way you've been doing it and turn and cry out to God. I spent so much time preparing for this message trying to figure out how to make it concise. And I just had to write it down over and over again in a journal. Oh God, I'm crying out to you. I'm just, I'm just asking you to do something fresh and new in my life and in our church family. Repent. And the last one is renew your mind. I'm going to talk about this in depth next week. But this morning, I just want you to know you can learn how to set your mind on things above and not things below. You can learn how to speak to your soul. That's what Edie was talking about when she was uh, talking a moment ago. She said, I have to speak this into my soul sometimes. I can say the truth and get my heart to line up. Oh, God, would you work fresh in our lives? We turn to you and we cry out. And we want you to teach us how to walk with you like we did in our first love. Would you pray with me? This morning as God works in your life, I want to tell you the good news. That if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All he's looking for you to do today is to agree with him. Can you do that? Just agree with him. Agree with him about what's right. Agree with him about what's wrong. Agree with him about what you need. Agree with him about the change that you long for. Just agree with him. If we say the same thing about it that God says about it, he's faithful and he's just to forgive, to restore, to empower, to align Oh, God, we thank you that we are new creations in Christ. And we thank you that you've made all things new. We thank you for the power and the potential that lives inside of us to change us from the inside out as you work in our hearts and lives. Lord, we pray for renewal in our church family. We pray for renewal in our personal walks. We pray for sensitivity and openness to receiving your love and letting your love compel us and move us 
So this morning, we're going to wait before you, Lord, and let you remind us of how you loved us when you sent Jesus to die in our place. And we're going to do what you told us to do in your word. We're going to remember how his body was broken. We're going to remember how his blood was shed. And we're going to remember that it was because you so loved us that you gave your only son. And it's in the name of the one who will make all things new, a new heaven, a new earth, and will reign forever and ever. It's in the strong name of our overcoming Savior, the Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Would you look this way? If today your relationship with God is not what it should be, because you've never started one with him, that little connect card, you can make a note on there. You can hand it to me on the way out. You can put it in a basket at the back. If you have any special prayer requests, you can write them on that card. But now we're going to move in a time when the sermon that went a little longer maybe than it should have. <laughs> we're going to let you preach a sermon now. Because the Bible says every time you take of the Lord's table, you proclaim his death until he comes. So I'm going to give you a chance to preach your personal faith. I'm going to ask you to come whenever you're ready and stop and take this bread and remember that his body was broken for you and take this cup and remember that his blood was shed for you. You can take it and stand over to the side. You can go back to your seat. And you ask, who should come and do this? Those who have a relationship with Jesus already. If you know him, you don't have to be a member of our church. We're trusting you to deal with God and if you have a relationship with him, then come and take of this bread and cup. I will give you this word of challenge. The scripture says we're to examine ourselves before we come. And there's been so many times I've looked out and unfortunately known the situations of some of the people in the congregation that they were not doing what they should do. And I've said to them, I plead with you. If you won't make this right with God as you take this bread and drink this cup, I, there's nothing I could do. It's not on me any longer. It's all on you. Because you have to decide if genuinely you're saying, oh God, thank you that Jesus' body was broken for me and his blood was shed for me.